0: Uh, with that, let's go ahead and turn in our Bibles, not to Second Kings, we won't be there, we're going to be in Romans today, and then bouncing around some important places as well. Romans 8, chapter 14, or excuse me, Romans 8, verse 14, and we'll be cruising all the way up to verse 25. 250 degrees shy of gold I'll tell you how that title came about but if you were here on Thursday you're probably already hearing the link to that it's just where the Lord impressed me to return to and to follow it with some principles which we see being penned here in Romans and then I'll make a correlation with Proverbs which is where in essence the inspiration of that title came from on a verse that we addressed and i think we addressed it very nicely so this is i would suppose to say a fresh word for us maybe the things that perhaps you've struggled with we all struggle we just get not necessarily to be doing so at the same time but time proves that we all struggle with something And it usually deals with the old man. It deals with the carnal nature. There's no one that's exempt from it. The important part of being a believer, though, is that we know who it is that takes care of that for us, is caring about us, and ultimately knows how to deliver us from it. The part that's more difficult is the transaction that never happened for those who even desire spirituality and will even occupy a seat within the church but they don't know certain facts with regard to the tensions that are both spiritual fleshly and the means by which the lord allows us to be free of influence those are important parts so romans right now is paul He's speaking, and this is important, as one who is confessing, I'm frail. He was able to say that he was perfect according to the law in Judaism. He's able to say, but as a believer, as a Christ follower, this is what I've found have been the challenges. He writes the principles, he is one that certainly has stood the measure of passing those principles. But he's also being very transparent, saying, I also struggle. But in the struggle, I realize why it's happening. I also know the disposition of my Lord concerning it. And I also know the tools with regard to not allowing it to prevail. So here we go with Romans. We'll read it verbatim. And beginning at verse uh, 14 is where I'll pick it up. I think this is really where I want to go. I need to back up to chapter seven, please. For we know that the law is spiritual, but I am carnal, sold under sin. For what I am doing, I do not understand. For what I will to do, that I do not practice, but what I hate, that I do. If then I do what I will not to do, I agree with the law that it is good, but now it is no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells in me. For I know that in me that is in my flesh, nothing good dwells, for to will is present with me. But how to perform what is good, I do not find. For the good that I will to do, I do not do. But the evil I will not to do, that I practice. Verse 20, Now if I do what I will not to do, it is no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells in me. I find then a law that evil is present with me, the one who wills to do good. For I delight in the law of God according to the inward man. But I see another law in my members, warring against the law of my mind and bringing me into captivity to the law of sin, which is in my members. O wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? Verse 25. I thank God through Jesus Christ our Lord. So then with the mind, I myself serve the law of God, but with the flesh, the law of sin. It's so adequately explained. And if you remember, this was our text of scripture about three weeks ago when before you, I couldn't read any of it to make sense to any of you. If there was a butcher of the Bible, I was the one with the cleaver. (laughs) I could not linguistically get through that. I finally, I think, resigned mostly to let you guys carry it. And it didn't shame me. Humbled me. I'm known for being able to speak and articulate probably to some of you, blah, 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 blah. And that's a language in and of itself, and I've perfected it. But I appreciate this, and I needed it to anchor with regard to where we were on Thursday in the Old Testament. In essence, the Old Testament speaks much about the old man, and the old man is defined as one who is carnally persuaded to do that which is both unseemly, ungodly, and a complete contradiction to what ultimately he knows. The Old Testament isn't just filled with bad guys. It's filled with good guys, good stories, good women, good children, but all at some point in time with something that speaks of their challenges in living for God. There seemingly is only a few in which nothing of that per se vulnerability is expressed. Joseph's not marked. Daniel's not marked. Esther has not been marked. Ruth has not been marked. Many of the other characters are permitted to have their faux pas and Bible boo-boos declared. And that's what God permitted in his sovereignty to tell the story of why we at times find ourselves in split personalities, how in one moment we can be filled with the joy of the Lord. And in the next minute we can be vipers, venomous to speak to. And it's a conflict of our nature. This passage of scripture in Romans tells us that what we indeed wrestle with is both the law of sin. In other words, it's a law. God put it in play. He put it in play that we would find ourselves utterly condemned by sin, not by God, by sin itself. And we would say there's no getting out of it. What I've heard about God What I know of him through those who have given his love to me must be the answer to who I am. And that's a great refreshing out for those who have been, if you would, fleshed out, exposed. But it could happen at any time to any of us. And the bottom line is it probably has in this past week. Highly on a spiritual plane, and then something enters into your mind. Some voice caught you in the ear. Something that indeed was perhaps even your fault, if not somebody's maliciously. And your countenance fell. And in the countenance falling, you were vulnerable to thoughts that were sinister, completely godless. How does that deal with the title then, 250 degrees shy of gold? So now what I'm going to do is I'm going to take you back to our proverb study to anchor you in a voice, in my opinion, to our souls that helps identify where you may be at right now to what Paul has just spoken of, admitting to us And to himself, (laughs) that's perfect, but now all I ever see with great frequency is my falling short of the glory of God. It's in my face, I'm on my face, but it's in my face. Have you felt like that before? Probably so. Today, we're at the height of what we can say, a spiritual experience. If you came in here, in my opinion, to ignore that God has not met you in the music that you've heard, the prayers that have been offered, the beautiful songs that have both been sung, original songs from God to these guys, and we have gals too, as songwriters. That means the prophetic voice of encouragement, of correction, and of comfort. If you cannot say, that's special, then you might be one right now under an entirely different persuasion of what God wants you to have. Center yourself on the cross. Take responsibility for the attitude that you possess. Allow yourself to be possessed by God who wants you, all of you, not just part of you. I loved the phrasing in here too, sold out to sin. Everest wrote a song, it's just called sold out, sold out to Jesus. Not wanting to have the entanglement of compromise. By the way, I want to share with you, too. A lot of these guys that come up and sing, Stephen wasn't prepped. That was on his own. And I was finding that that's amazing. I couldn't have asked for a better song. But Everest, actually, I I, type, I texted him probably at 6 in the morning. I was here. And we kind of bantered about it. I said, can you pull off Sold Out? And... I don't know how I did it, but we had some fun texting. You know, he gave me some gifts and I gave him some gaff and you know, and and ultimately said, Yeah, glad to do it. But as I was watching, I was going, I wouldn't do that. <laughs> I live in a complete state of contradiction. I expect others to do what it is I will probably not do. And the pastor can't ask me to do that in an emergency. Isn't that weird? While I'm sitting there, I'm just going, <laughs> And I'm going, oh, he's nailing it. The guitar sounds great just brought in today because the other one wasn't working. And by the way, guitarists, if I can just segue just a little bit, when you handle somebody else's weapon, it ain't yours. That's a whole different area of insecurity. That's like sending a cowboy into a gunfight without his pistol. It's not his. Chances are he's going to lose that battle. And so all of these things were up against him, but there he was, just, it was awesome. So I was very proud of you. Well, he's not here, but I'm proud of you too, Zach. (laughs) All of you. (laughs) Okay, you should have said, let's move on, please. Let's do it. Move to Proverbs, please. 17. This is the verse that I want to call to your attention. 17.3 is where we were at. If you were here, just tolerate it, okay? It's still good. It's important for you to see how the Lord, in my opinion, said, would you go ahead and just elaborate on this one more time? Bring him in to what Paul was challenged with himself and now bring him back to what it looks like. And so in verse three, it says, the refining pot is for silver and the furnace for gold. But the Lord tests the heart, plural, hearts. We've got a heart for the Lord, but within our bodies right now, collectively, there are many hearts that are represented today. And these hearts are, are the place in which figuratively and spiritually the Lord has chose to make a habitation of his. The reason that that's important is because it says a transaction was conducted in which we are no longer the real estate managers or owners of where he resides. That's his. Isn't it interesting that society right now is having trouble with squatters? In essence, sin can be looked at in what Paul just said as a squatter on God's property. you got a squatter in your property, and he ain't going nowhere, because somehow the law was indelibly written that he would be a provocateur of your spirituality. In other words, you've got to fight in this life the way that God has intended you to fight, That strife may be put away, that the old man might indeed die, and that the new man might be put on, which is in Christ Jesus. It's just the tension that God has said is sufficient for you to make it through this tenure, which for some we could say is short, for others, way too long. But that's going to be there. There's going to be a tenant that's living as a squatter in your spiritual body, and you need to know there's somebody in authority within you that takes the place that at one time was void of God, and it's filled with him. It's the Spirit of God. And so even that squatter may be a nuisance to you. He doesn't have dominion over you. Sin does not have dominion over you. You, indeed, must be master of it. And so you're going to smell it from time to time, because he's a squatter. He doesn't care about the garbage. He cares nothing about godliness. He's permitted to reside there. God's fully aware of it. But God hasn't turned it into a slum, and he's not a slum lord. He's a lord that's not afraid of any kind of intrusion, and he's certainly not at all apologizing for the laws that he has given to man to both govern him and also prod him into deeper footsteps towards grace and mercy and forgiveness, applying the blood and becoming better than we ever thought we could be or what anybody ever believed that we had a chance for Whether you believe it or not, you're far better this day than you've ever been. And you have an opportunity as well on the next day and the next days that follow to the point, and I'll make this point, a Thursday that we present ourselves before God once again as those who say, I need a little washing of this tendency, I'm not just a tenement. I'm not just a broken down apartment. I'm housing God. In my housing, it's time for spring cleaning. And that's probably one of the best illustrations I can get. So where is this coming from? So in a study, just to show you the contrast right now, silver has a specific heating point or melting point. I shared this on Thursday. And the melting point of silver is less than the melting point of gold. They would be economically considered precious metals. We are likened to them. We are also likened to precious gems and jewels. These are things that the Lord allows us to see. And he wants us to know that from his consideration, we are immeasurably valuable more so than anything we could have our hands on. But because he knows that we respond to pictures and we find ourselves intrigued by them, he allows them to be presented in a way in which a truth is to be apprehended. So this coming back to it again in three, the refining pot is for silver. In other words, who we are as believers those who have a relationship with God, and in this case I can say likened to silver or ultimately what God permits to happen to us is for refinement. And the refinement distinctively different than seemingly gold is what it's refined in. It's refined in a pot. Now it doesn't mean that through, if you would, certain areas of industry we've learned how to go beyond. If you would, the cauldron, because refinement of precious metals has obviously been industrially more efficient and effective in the old days. But this is to keep it simple. It's a small, if you would, basin, pot, cauldron. And the silver that ultimately is in it is actually in process to be refined. And the refining point happens at 1,700 degrees Fahrenheit, that's when it melts. And all the junk in it, it floats to the top. When the metal itself, under heat, reduces itself to a liquefied state, then any of the junk is on the top. It is a word that we would say is dross. That which defiles it, that permeates it, that decreases its value, is scraped off, scooped off, poured off. And God says, that's what I do with you. The distinction between gold and silver would be probably in what we'd say its value is. But I can tell you, somebody can possess a lot of silver to maybe my gold coin, And they would say, I've outdone you. I've got more silver than you've got gold. And though that may be a more precious metal, look at what it is that I've got. That can sometimes happen in our faith as well. I'm comfortable with my silver. I'm doing just fine. It's refined. I'm where it is that I want to be. But God says, but I've got another process for you. You're where it is that you want to be, but I want you to be 250 degrees to my perfect will. Silver's fine. And it is true, many can boast economically in the silver that they possess, but it does not equate to the gold that you are. There's a gold standard that God has that's greater than a silver standard That man can say, happy, good, that's where my money's in. My money's in this, my money's in that. My value is indeed known by what it is I do. But God says, my value is known by what it is I do. And so the melting point of gold is 1950 degrees Fahrenheit. That is the temperature in which... Gold as a solid succumbs and becomes liquefied in the liquefaction of it. It is when those who handle such the dross rises, it's scraped. And then gold is measured by a percentage or in carats. Most of us know that sometimes the higher percentage actually yields a softer metal. Gold is one of those things that in the old cowboy movies, they get a gold piece tossed to them or a nugget, and the first thing those guys do is bite it. They're basically testing out whether their tooth is going to break or whether it's going to be their snack food, at least a portion of that coin. But it's a testing. In the same sense, God tests your gold. He's able to savor, if you would, put his teeth into it and say, That's gold. And so this was actually saying that the difference between gold and silver, you would say is marginal. 250 degrees, what's that? Apparently it's sufficient to say, why would you choose to remain content holding silver when God says 250 degrees more and you can be gold? Why would you be content? Why would we be content? Paul wasn't content. Paul had perfection, if you would, in silver, because he was a judicator. In other words, he was perfect under the law by the evaluation of being a part of the Sanhedrin. He was perfect in executing the judgment of the law, which in his case was to render a death penalty or seemingly the wrath of God, because remember, he was zealous for God. So anything he did, that in his accuracy of perfection under the law, he would also render by his judgment the wrath that he thought was of God. And I shared this with our young people, that in chapter 9, guess who met him? The God of his zeal. And said, what are you doing? And he said, Lord? Meaning that he had a connection by conscience that what he had been doing, he was stopped by the voice that he thought all along he was doing business for. And Jesus said to him, you're persecuting my church. You're persecuting me. I've got another plan for you. You're going to be moved up in my economy to the gold standard that I expect. You're going to be put in a smelter and the heat's gonna be turned up, and you're going to be both invaluable to me, and you are going to pen the most extraordinary words that I could say to my church. 250 degrees, that's the difference. We would say, isn't that kind of like warming a bun in an oven? So therefore, yes. It's not like to the melting point of ruining your life. Although if it pleases God to ruin us in our decisions, then so be it. He will do that. But his ruin isn't intended for what? Harm. It's intended for value, for good. So at any rate, that's where we go there. The difference between a melting pot that ultimately is heated to the point in which silver is liquefied to what? The other mechanism is, which is a furnace you can imagine. A furnace is intense. Why for just 250 more degrees does it have to be intense? Because God is intent in allowing you to pass each and every test of your heart as to where it's at and what you're going to do. That's why, at least for me, and I've said it before, but I don't mind being redundant. One of the things that I know works for me is when I come in in the morning and I'm able to sit before these men and women who you have heard sing. And because I'm a musician and a poet, it's my happy place. It's my spiritual moment of being able to connect with, in my opinion, the wholesome and honest giftings of God to whom you see with frequency in this place. They're awesome players. And I'm going, I can spare 30 minutes. The thing is, I found that as I spare my 30 minutes, God spares me in so many things during my day. I'm just giving a trumpet toot for the fact that what I used to do for six to seven years, I now get to retire from that and have a seat and be bathed in awesome music. Four days a week. And I'm hearing stuff, honestly, I'm going, where did they get that song? Did you write that song? Mm -hmm. Oh, my word. (laughs) How did the Lord not give that to me? Then I have to suffer with jealousy and, you know, envy. And then I find myself on my face going, oh, Lord, this body of sin, what shall be done? You know, I go through that. Here's what I want to share with you. Why does this happen and what has God done? So, part of this needs to go all the way back to Genesis because I'm just going to cite for you the reason that God cares so much about you as his treasury and why it's important for us to say, that's what I want. I know what I want to do in my will, but I do not seem to be able to do it. I'm a failure. But I know what God's heart is. So go back to Genesis, if you would, with me. I want to take a look very quickly at the third chapter. Right away, your remembrance of that should be pretty much processing. Here's what I want to do. Genesis chapter 3.9, an explanation on how we have, if you would, split personalities that fight both God initially and then ultimately what he wants to do with us in his value towards us or his evaluation of us. In chapter 3, verse 9, this is what we hear him say to one who has just found himself contrary in what he's done to the will of God. Two things that we know in this chapter two sins that had major consequences, especially when they linked up in marriage. It was deception and disobedience. That's all you need to know. Why is it that you have challenges doing God's will? There's only two reasons right now that can be cited, at least from what we see in this text. It's one who gets deceived, and it's another who disobeys. You and I have that same vulnerability. God says this, He called to Adam and said to him in verse nine, where are you? You See, we're not absent of God because he is with us. He's walking with these guys. He's on the spot where these two have sinned. He's there on time. He was wanting time with them. And here's what happens. The answer in verse 10. I heard your voice in the garden and I was afraid because I was naked and I hid myself. And he said, who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten from the tree of which I commanded you that you should not eat? And then of course the blame game happens. So we don't need to go into that. The bottom line is, is God chose to have an interaction with them, a conference. He was there where he had always been. And so Adam's heart is being tested. It's right now in the misery of failure. He can't even answer if you would, honestly. He didn't even bother to utter, God, forgive me. I have sinned against you. David inevitably would be one that could voice that. Adam never got around to it. And so God made a purpose plan to save him from even his inadequacy or his stubbornness or his shame to not even apologize. And so you need to understand that from the beginning, it's not God working contrary to being good to Adam and Eve. It's the fact that Adam and Eve worked contrary to being great for God. And that's one of the things that we need to understand too. In this season, we need to desire to be great for God The rest can follow about being great for America. But right now, great for God, doing good for God. The rest then will follow as God increases you and I and the value that we are to place upon ourselves. Okay, so what's the next thing that happens? They have kids. Great. Kids solve all their problems, right? Well... You can answer that if you're a parent. They create extra tension that causes us to draw closer to God. That's what they should be doing. Our children are a mechanism which God says, I'm going to show you how the law works. I'm going to show you what it's like governing a small colony. As I govern the universe, you're going to get a taste of what I go through. Only I'm perfect. So you're going to call upon me for perfection in parenting. Watch this, though. So turn over to uh, chapter 4, verse 6 because this is a both a remedy and it's it's an honest disclosure. And so the Lord God said to Cain. Notice this. This is a personality problem. It's carnality unfolding and God challenges him said, "Why are you angry? Anybody here been angry before? God would say, "Why are you angry? And why has your countenance fallen?" That's what happens. Either the falling of the countenance provokes anger. Okay? Or anger basically provokes the falling of countenance. It can happen either way. Well, I wasn't angry until now this. And then my countenance was great until that. And so here's the discourse. This is a remedy. This is God saying, you don't have to let this situation get out of control. You do not have to suffer a consequence which is pending if you choose errantly. If you, like your father, disobey me, it's going to be a hardship for you. And so here it is. If you do well, will you not be accepted? The difference was that he wanted to please God on his terms, not as he had been instructed and that his brother Abel had done. You know that. If you do not, will, if you do not do well, sin lies at the door and it's desires for you, but you should rule over it. How do you increase in value? Go up 250 degrees to be gold? Nothing for God to do. You're already used to the heat. Why don't you take it up 250 degrees? Why be shy of missing the gold standard and be content? if you would, with the silver treasure. And so this is an appeal. It's an instruction to him on what to do. I'll accept you. All you need to do, Cain, is do well. Apologize to your brother because your anger towards him is an offense to me. He's done what's right. He continues to do good. Do well. Take some tips from him. Understand the consequence of your father, your mother, whatever it is. Start fresh. Get a fresh start. And so what happens there is that he doesn't. Verse 8 tells you that not obeying God, he ultimately set demise upon Abel and killed him. Do well. Nope, not going to do that. Drink from my well. Not thirsty for that spiritual stuff. What are you going to do then, Cain? Farewell, God. That's what I'm going to do. I'm going to do my life according to my will, my will. Farewell, God. That's one of the dispositions that happens. Paul could have said, Lord, I'm zealous for you. I hear you talking, but nonsense. I'm going to the next household. Because those Christians have to be dealt with. And I'm going to show you that I'm the best Jew you ever saw and you ever made. God didn't find that to be acceptable at all. The next area is 5, chapter 5, verse 8. And you'll see why this is so important. It's one verse. Listen to it. But Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. We can come into church, and now that it's been explained, we battle with seemingly a split personality and sin that's influential in our members. And it's like, okay, so I know that. But what do I do about it? So here's what I want to say that hopefully is encouraging. You did it. You came here. I know, but it's, I'm totally content with silver. In fact, I like copper too. I'm really enthralled with like big giant five gallon bottles of pennies. That's really sad. I love toting those things around. Copper's good to me. I've even been tempted to, you know, go after spare electrical wire. Oh, it might be in your home, but that's okay. I really like copper. See, copper is taking on a greater value because of how it's used in those areas of you know, mechanics, technical things, computers and so forth. But here's what we can say. Even if today you're here under false pretense, what I'm confident that I am to be able to say is that you've met with favorable presence of God. Every single one of us can pass through that door under false pretense, but I'm telling you, once you cross that threshold and take your seat or stand, take communion, hear the word of God, God says, favorable presence you've entered into. My favor is upon you. And I believe truly in my heart, that's one of the distinctives that we have in what God is saying for us to do. He loves us. Trials and tests are purposed for us that he might be exalted in us passing them. And we need to be those who do not pass up the opportunity to exceedingly do well, not in our strength, but in his power. It's just a good way to be able to go his way according to the Hebrew understanding of God, Yahweh. It's just the way it should be. And so for my prayer, being now a much older man than I was in taking up my cross to follow him, I say, Lord, I want to go to the finish line. I don't want to go necessarily impressively, saying that I can run a marathon as I once did, because what I did in four hours and 40 minutes, I'll bet you'd take me eight hours now and a wagon But I said, I want to be able to really influence in the way that you have enabled me, not only my generation, but the next generation. You're seeing the next generation. I hope and pray that you will ask the Lord to begin filling this church with the next generation as we get to age like cheddar. The older guys. That's not a bad thing, by the way. Aged cheddar is of great value on the market. Aged wine is great value on the market. There's a time in which we have to cheer on the next generation. Why wouldn't you want to see them come from all parts of the country? Because these guys are saying, I'm not content with silver. I'm not content with my pennies anymore. I want the gold brick. I want to be that gold brick for God. That's what we're saying.